thanks to our sponsor, Orchestry. Don't be fooled. Microsoft Teams and SharePoint are difficult. Microsoft Teams, when simply turned on, can be unruly and yield endless sprawl. SharePoint causes constant frustration with user interface and permissioning challenges. End the chaos and harness the full power of Microsoft Teams, SharePoint Online, and Microsoft 365 with Orchestry. Orchestry is the work-made simple platform that empowers end users through controlled self-service provisioning while delivering the actionable insights and lifecycle management your IT administrators need to enable remote and hybrid work productivity without locking down the powerful capabilities of Microsoft Teams and SharePoint Online. See why so many are claiming Orchestry to be the must-have Microsoft Teams management tool of 2021. Get your free access to Orchestry with full featured trial at orchestry.com and tell them the Microsoft Cloud Show sent you to get the all the friends of the show perks. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 426, where today AC and I are going to talk about Microsoft's new Start Me Up, attacks and hacks, and some Windows 11 updates. Recorded live September 9th, 2021. This episode is brought to you by ShareGate. Microsoft Teams can be a great tool for your organization. That is, before your users make your environment messier than eating a hard shell taco. And that's where ShareGate comes in. Their user-friendly tools automate the tedious daily tasks involved in migrating, managing, and securing Microsoft Teams so that you can maintain a safe and productive environment without locking it down. Head over to ShareGate.com for your free 30-day trial and transform the way that you manage your Microsoft Teams. Back to the show. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Yourself, buddy? Pretty good, my friend. Pretty good. Rocking along. What have you been up to? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, that sounds deep and meaningful. <laughs> no, it's like one of those, like, it's been um, maybe like the last three days have been rapid fire of lots of stuff. So I, and I'm I'm on the yeah. other side of all of that. And I'm like, so what have you been working on? I'm like going, ah, Everything? what do I say? <laughs> I'm not really sure. So yeah. I've been doing a bunch of update, a bunch of updates to the SharePoint framework docs on docs.microsoft.com for Microsoft, but also been working a lot on my course. So I've got, I'm getting ready to release a big refresh for one of the three bundles of my SharePoint framework course. Everything's done. I just now have to kind of like, I want to change the way some of the stuff is presented. And so I'm trying to get through all of that stuff right now and making sure that I time it in a way that... I don't do it right before like I have to, I'm unavailable for like a few days. So I'm trying to decide can I get right. it done before I go out of town for 5 days for a wedding or not or should I just get it ready and then get on to something else. So just yeah, all gotcha. kind of like scheduling stuff. So yeah. That's all boring enough. stuff. How about you? Oh, you know, enjoying the last few days of what feels like summer still up here in the Pacific Northwest, working a whole bunch on gosh, lots of lots of different bits and pieces, but also we're getting ready for a a large backyard project. So um, there's lots coming in our, uh, lots of dirt moving and planting and landscape design stuff going to kick off uh, in a couple of weeks. So we're just working on plans for that and uh, getting it all ready to roll. But um, fun. yeah, other than that, just trying to soak in the last, like I said, the last few nice weeks of weather up here and before we start getting into fall and all the leaves start falling off the trees. Oh, and kids back to school. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, are they back to school now or are they? They are. Yeah, they are. Yep. That's not last week. The last, I think, Friday or Thursday last week. So, yeah, we've got emotions are running high in the house, you know, all the standard stuff. Yeah, it's been, we've been back at school now, I guess we're on a third or fourth week now. It's nice to be getting back into a routine, you know, instead of things just being so like flexible over the summer, it's nice to know that, you know, there's no like sleeping in. You know, kids come yep. home, start working on homework, dinner, back to homework, kind of yep. stuff like that. So it's like, no, it doesn't matter how fast you get your homework done. You're not playing Xbox tonight. <laughs> Take yeah. your time. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. It's very eerily quiet in the house. Very. All right. But we've got a packed show. We've got a whole bunch of news to get through today. We're going to talk a bunch about some security topics, a little bit about Google, some Microsoft news. Microsoft 365 stuff, a few Windows 11 things, some Azure stuff, and some Apple and Microsoft stuff. So we've got a few different things to go through. How do you, or what do you say we get stuck in and uh, get on with the show? Let's do it. This episode is sponsored by Raygun. 
Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software. And what makes it so unique is that not only does it tell you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it, right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every single day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit raygun.com to resolve issues faster and to deliver flawless digital experiences for your users. That's raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial with plans starting from as little as $4 a month. And we're back. All right, AC, would you like to kick us off with something or would you like me to? I'll kick us off with one. This one caught my eye. We, there was a lot of like security stuff that happened in the yeah. last, uh, or like compromise that happened in the last week. Some of it is related to Microsoft. Some of it is not, but this one is not related to Microsoft. However, I did, I found it to be interesting because the US Cybercom Twitter account, they sent out a public tweet. Well, I guess they're all public, but they sent out a tweet <laughs> that really called this out. And I had never seen them do this before. They may have done it. I just hadn't noticed it. But they called it a mass exploitation of an ongoing Atlassian confluence vulnerability. This only applied to people who were running Atlassian Confluence on-prem install that they hosted themselves. The cloud-hosted option or the service-based uh, version of this was, was already patched, but there was a really big one. And they, I think that Cyber Command jumped out and said something. They said this on Friday, and I believe they did it before we had a long weekend because they wanted to make sure that people patched this stuff you know, the following week. It even said... In the tweet, quote, please patch immediately if you haven't already. This cannot wait until after the weekend. I was like, oh, wow. So it's a pretty big deal. I've, I know of a few companies that were compromised by this. I do know of one. I won't go into specifics, but I do know of one major, like multi-billion dollar financial services organization that was that did find that they were vulnerable from this and they're still going they I don't know if they were compromised but this was just that they were aware of the vulnerability so right right fair enough speaking of the cybers as i like to call them these days Brad Smith so the head of essentially the head of all things legal at Microsoft probably seen him talk on stage at a few Microsoft events either streamed or whatnot fascinating guy to listen to. He's always got something really interesting to say, I think. And he's got a great way of uh, articulating, you know, and telling his stories. He's come out with a long form piece uh, that's published up on fastcompany.com entitled, What It Was Like Inside Microsoft During the Worst Cyber Attack in History. Microsoft President Brad Smith describes the chaos inside the tech during the SolarWinds hack. It is a long read. And it is, it's actually titled after, it's by Brad Smith and Carol Ann Brown. And then afterwards it says, long read. So, <laughs> so, so it's yeah. only 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's actually quite a long read. Admittedly, I have not read it all, but I just want to read the first paragraph just to wet your beak. While the KGB may have collapsed with the Soviet Union in 1991, its long shadow still quietly serves its homeland through new 21st century digital forms and tactics, especially in cyberspace. So the opening paragraph had me hooked. I was like, go on. Mm. Anyway, it's the inside sort of, well, the inside, a more inside view of the background to the solar winds hack, who was involved, how it all sort of played out, et cetera, et cetera. So when you've got, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes, probably feels like a 15 minute read, something like that, maybe 10 minute read, go and have a read. It's fascinating. CIA and FSB and KGB and CIA and all the acronyms. <laughs> That's really cool. I've not seen this yet. So this was definitely added to my reading list, but that'd be great to read over lunch. Thank you very much for highlighting this one. Yeah, this will be a, you know, he's, like I said, he's got such a great way of you know, telling a story. And so it's not just him, right? It's Brad Smith and Carol Ann Brown, but yeah, it's um, a little view and glimpse into what went on at Microsoft during SolarWinds attack. Crazy stuff, man. Crazy stuff. Yeah. 
I've got one here from Juniper uh, Networks. Now, this, this is a bit nostalgic. Is a shocker. Yeah, this is really cool. Well, not really, but <laughs> from yeah. the geek side, it's like, this is interesting to see how it came about. So this all goes back about six years. So right before Christmas in 2015, Juniper Networks, very large infrastructure company, they alerted all their users that they had been breached in a brief statement. The company said it discovered, quote, unauthorized code in one of its network security products, allowing hackers to decipher encrypted communications and gain a high level access to customers' computer systems. They did not go into many details other than just to say, we are strongly advising users to, quote, oh, sorry, to download a software update, quote, with the highest priority. Now, there's not a whole lot of detail that has been officially disclosed about this, but if you've paid attention to any of the tech news in the last, around that time, last couple of years, you might remember the fact that it was alleged that the National Security Agency, the NSA, convinced someone to put this on the networking gear to where they could have a backdoor to see what was going on on these devices. And it gets this article, the, the new part for me. So I heard about that back in the day, but the new part for me was that they leveraged DOD contracts with Juniper to try and get that code into their products. That's, That's the, like <laughs> naughty, quite, naughty. Quite <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised it happened. I'm not surprised it was kept quiet. I'm not surprised Juniper was probably royally pissed when they found out that it happened without that it was without their knowing. It's a good read. Like the other one, I'm sure it sounds like the other one with like with Brad Smith. This was a great read as well. It really struck me as that was new to me, the whole, hey, you're not going to get this contract unless you put this in your put this code in your in your product with the security ecosystem was like, what? It's insecure. And then for it to come sort of full circle to, I think it was to the Solar Winds hack and saying that some of these products may have been involved in that as well with getting a non-US entity getting access to other companies' data using this backdoor that the CIA had put into a US company's products, which I thought was like, what? Mm. Mind-blowing. I can't remember if it was the SolarWinds. There was definitely some attack that they're looking at going, actually, this could have been the backdoor that we put into this code being exploited by another nation state. Yeah, it is interesting. It's very interesting. You know, it's like the old spy days with double agents. Mm -hmm. But in this case, the algorithm is the double agent. (laughs) 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 The elliptical curve, blah, 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 yeah, yada, yada. It was a random number generator that wasn't terribly random. (laughs) Right, right. I have another one here on security. So we've got a few for security things today. This one is if you ever needed more of a reason not to use IE, uh, here's another one. So this is on Windows 10. There is a new CVE, being a security advisory, being released that affects MSHTML components of IE on Windows 10. And the same thing is also used by Office. So when it's rendering web content, you know, you can put web doc, you know, web content in Office, or open things that contain web content. And I quote, an attacker could craft a malicious ActiveX control to be used by an, a Microsoft Office document that hosts the browser rendering engine, right? So it's a way to get code into and exploit, get out of the sandbox of the web engine, out onto the, out onto the user's wider OS and then do whatever you want. So it's an escalation type attack. And then that, you know, then you're owned. So essentially don't open documents with web content in them that have this ActiveX, potentially a ActiveX control that can exploit your system. There is a patch coming apparently as soon as September 14th. So keep an eye out for that. But yeah, this could be exploited. Like, you know, somebody could send you a document, an email, you open up the document and it's got some of this content in it with a control that can then be used to exploit your system. So mm. pretty nasty. And apparently it's out in the wild being used. Or nasty. Just don't use IE11 or don't use IE at all. Yeah. Well, apparently there's still lots of people. So yeah. I mean, there's still people out there that are using like those old Nokia phones too. But I mean, yeah. Here's an interesting comment yeah. in this article. Virtually every month in 2021, So far, Microsoft has been forced to respond to a zero-day threat targeting huge swaths of its user base. And in fact, by my count, this is the author speaking, 
By my count, May was the only month so far this year that Microsoft didn't release a patch to fix at least one zero-day attack in Windows or supported software. Oh, my goodness. I didn't realize yeah. that. Interesting, huh? It is interesting. Huh. Yeah, I guess some, there's some code that's pretty long in the tooth now. Well, talking about being long in the tooth here, there is an interesting article I see that you that you found. I saw it as well. I have not been through this entire article yet, but... What I did find was really interesting. Back to our solar winds conversation, Microsoft in early September, they published something to their security blog called a deep dive into the solar winds serve you SSH vulnerability. And it's a long and pretty detailed read. If you're goes it's into a hardcore. lot of detail on like what was going on, yeah. it really is hardcore. Yeah. So I was like, it is long in the tooth here. But um, I just love the team that published this. Is yeah, it the Microsoft yeah. Offensive Research and Security Engineering Team? What a cool name. <laughs> There's that. And then I love that they, so it starts out with um, several weeks ago, Microsoft detected a zero, zero day remote code execution exploit being used to attack the SolarWinds you FTP software and limited targeted attacks. So they attributed the attack with high confidence to a group operating out of China um, observed on, based on observed victimology. That's interesting. I hadn't heard that word before tactics and procedures, and they shared the technical details about the vulnerability that they shared with SolarWinds that also released a security update to fix the problem. It's just interesting to kind of see the behind the scenes and the details of it, getting a little bit beyond topical stuff that you see generally reported in like yeah. the news from like the, the, the CNET or the mainstream media or the ZDNet articles. I just like this because you get to see the, the nuts and bolts behind it. Yeah. If you... No C or C++, there's code in here that you get to go pick through and they'll show you exactly sort of how things worked in this particular vulnerability. So pretty, pretty darn interesting. Very much so. All right. You remember back when Microsoft launched Windows 95 and they used the Rolling Stones start me up theme? I do. Microsoft, you know, coming full circle, Microsoft is rebranding its newsfeed as Microsoft Start. So you can hit microsoftstart.com and it'll take you to MSN at the moment, but it's all being sort of rebranded. I just thought this was interesting because apparently Microsoft also owns the domain start.com. It currently redirects to, I think, to MSN or microsoft.com or something like that. But they chose to rebrand this as microsoftstart.com. Wouldn't you have just gone with start.com? Uh, you want to put Weird. your name and everything, I guess. I mean, it's a, oh, yeah. that's a bit the marketing play, but huh. All right. Anyway, so these are going to, this new start feed is going to be integrated. You know, the stuff gets integrated into Windows and the Windows start menu, et cetera, et cetera. So not start menu, you know, the, the news feeds and things that pop up. So yeah, that is launching soon, I guess, or they're just rebranding it. But it's all the all the MSN stuff in the background. I don't know if you know. I think I've mentioned this to you once before, but MSN is a great way to read syndicated news from a bunch of different sources that you don't have to pay for. So, like, if you don't have a New York Times subscription, for example, and you're out of views on their site, you can often find the same articles through MSN that they've syndicated and that you can read for free. Anyway, I, that's the, the the only use for MSN news I've got. <laughs> I've noticed that as well. There, I've noticed as well with uh, Wall Street Journal articles that that's a great way to get a Wall Street Journal article. And it's not like they're copying it. It's still from the Wall Street Journal. It's just that uh, yeah. Microsoft is, is has compensated those entities to be able to yeah. publish their content uh, through their yeah. app. You know, the only thing, and I, I like the Microsoft News app on like on my phone or on my iPad. There's two things. There's one thing I love. There's another piece that I really love about it. And that's you will find out very quickly when you have a kid going through pre-calc and you have to remember how to do some pre-calc, there is actually an app inside of that news app that you can take a picture of a pre-calc function and it will not only solve the function, but it walks through all the steps of it. So when you have to relearn it yourself and then teach it, reteach it to your son or your daughter, it's super useful. I'm not saying that I've used it's in the it news hypothetically. App? I'm, it's in the news app, yeah. It's, it's you know how when you go to the news app, it says like news, groceries, and all that other stuff. Yeah, there's a little tab in there called math. So that's one. However, huh. the one thing that I don't like about it is I'm really starting to dislike seeing people's reactions and comments on news articles. And I wish there was a way that I could disable that because you just see that there are oh, people yeah. that, love, that have, are, have feel this uncontrolled compulsion that they to have to comment on everything. And some troll, but some are just mm. completely uneducated and some are educated with it. But it's like, 
I don't really care what other people think about something in the news. I just, I'd like to just see the news with no opinions on it, please. Yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. Fair enough. Anyway, so you know how video is kind of a thing? No, what on earth are you talking about? Oh, I'm sorry. So <laughs> they've got these things. So there's these different kinds of sites. You, know, you can watch videos and stuff. It's kind of a cool thing. It's been around for, I don't know, a couple of days now. It's cool. It's like is that YouTube that website, ChewYube? ChewYube? Yeah, that that one? Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. UsTube. UsTube, yeah. It's when you yeah. get those two of us are going to be on it. So Microsoft has recently purchased a company called ClipChamp. The idea is that it's an in-browser video creation and editing experience. It's been around for about eight years, but Microsoft is using it to have like ClipChamp's capability does things like, or features have things like template-driven videos that you can create to add in to your content. Microsoft is adding it to uh, being able to use it in things like Microsoft 365, both for individuals, business, schools, families, uh, also with Windows as well. So I'd be curious to see how and where they implement this. But I found it kind of interesting. They bought this to make it easier to create content in a very easy way for people. They've got like a whole beta that they released as well for Microsoft Teams. Very cool. That'll be, you know, this is quite interesting. My son asked me the other day, he's, he's starting to dabble in recording some of his stuff that he plays on his PC. He's like, I want to edit my videos. And you know, the old timer in me is like, oh God, like Premiere Pro and like, how are we going to deal with this? And like, this is all too hard. And then this came along the next day and I was like, huh, better video editing software that's easier to use. Fantastic. I had the same thing with my daughter when she was about a year or two ago when she was actually, there. yeah, so she, and she started doing the same thing, like wanting to record some stuff or two of the games and publish it to the YouTube channel and stuff. I was surprised at how productive she was without me helping her. In fact, I learned quite a bit from her, like, oh, look, I don't need to overthink this. She wanted to learn Premiere. I was like, I don't think you really want to learn Premiere. Yeah. Um, but the one that I that, that, I, that she really likes is using a Soapbox. It's uh, by Wistia. And you can, it very, makes it very easy for you to do like a split screen with your screen. And then you as well does everything in the browser. And you can download the video and then publish it over to YouTube if you want to publish it somewhere else. So I really liked it. Okay. She really likes it. Cool. I'll check that out. Nice. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Geomont. Have you thought about adding contact center capabilities into your existing Microsoft Teams user base? If so, take advantage of our promo to add BuzzEasy Contact Center for Teams from Geomont and get your first month subscription for free. It's a complete omni-channel experience that works seamlessly with Teams Voice. BuzzEasy was developed with best practices in Azure and offers a rich, easy-to-use experience. Geomont is a Microsoft Gold Partner, part of the technology adoption program, and their BuzzEasy chatbot solution for Teams has been chosen as a preferred solution on the Microsoft App Store. See the show notes for details around a special offer. And now, back to the show. Okay, see, uh, do you want to hear a funny one? Always. This is on Ars Technica, and it's entitled A Not Very Compelling Ad. Misbehaving Microsoft Teams ad brings entire Windows 11, brings down the entire Windows 11 desktop. <laughs> Have you oh heard my God. this? <laughs> no, I haven't. So, you know, in Windows 11, they've got this new bundled Windows, uh, sorry, Microsoft Teams sort of integration thing going on, like that app uh-huh. that you can open up. Have you seen that? Yeah. So apparently when you are... I think when you're not signed into Teams or something like that, you click that button, essentially you get a new ad, like a new, like, hey, you should use this thing and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, so the new build of Windows 11 came out late last week. I think it was, this was, that would have been, it'll be about a week since when this podcast comes out. And people started hitting all these problems where like the taskbar and the desktop and the settings app and stuff like that would just refuse to load. And there was a guy on Twitter that sort of narrowed it down and found that it was in this based on this one service called the Iris service in Windows, and that it was having problems dealing with a some sort of serialized JSON blob, or it was downloading some sort of ad details or something like that, and and it was failing to do this, and therefore bringing all of those services that <laughs> that relied on this thing working to their knees. So Microsoft Fix was a re- was publishing a registry edit that would, um, I guess turn it off, something like that. But yeah, this is this is kind of comical, right? And it really pissed off a bunch of people because it, this just sort of really highlighted the invasiveness of, and I quote from this article, the problem combines two of latter-day Windows' most annoying tendencies, 
First, the operating system relentlessly promotes and prioritizes Microsoft's first-party apps and services. And second, Microsoft operating system talks to Microsoft's servers in the background to report diagnostic data, fetch advertisements, and even download Windows Store apps without asking. So yeah, this was uh, kind of a, yeah, sorry, we're doing a couple of things you really don't like us doing. And we're making your OS inoperable while we do it. I am really surprised that they're getting away with this and that people are not squawking about it more than they are. This drives me nuts. Like when I, in the, I'm mostly a Mac OS person. Every once in a while, I have to jump on my Windows machine because, well, when I, I do work for Microsoft, I'm on a, uh, I'm a contractor with them and I have to use an Intune joint machine to their corp domain to be able to access a lot of stuff. Yeah. Including GitHub repository. It's driving me nuts. But, I refused to put my Mac on their corp joined Intune after they locked me out of it and I had to rebuild it last year. So I have an old like 10 or 11 year old Lenovo Windows machine. And it is amazing to me like how pushy Microsoft is on Windows 10. Just on Windows 10, I can't imagine Windows 11 is going to be like, but I can't imagine how pushy Microsoft is about using their default stuff. Keep using Edge. You should use Edge. And then how much stuff they're promoting Office 365 through all the little notifications. It's the amount of ads on Windows is just amazing to me from Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, this is, it's been a slow march for quite a while now, right? And as Microsoft makes, you know, they don't charge for OS updates anymore. They've been getting away with more and more of this sort of stuff. And uh, it does surprise me, like, I guess, well, you know, my crystal ball says people, companies like Zoom, et cetera, are going to end up getting the Justice Department involved again around anti-competitive mm -hmm. behavior for bundling stuff like Teams and Windows, for example. I am stunned that if they'd get away, you know, if they're going to get away with this, right? I'm Maybe not stunned they're going to get away with it. Stunned if they don't get taken to court over it. I mean, hell, like Microsoft got absolutely raked through the coals through bundling a browser in Windows. And that's mm -hmm. led to all of the stuff around choosing your browser in Windows now and all of that sort of stuff. And again, like we've got another article on how Microsoft are making it really hard now to, harder to change your default browser in Windows 11. And as, <sighs> anyway, we'll talk to that in a second. But this one is specifically about Teams. It just sort of boggles my mind that they're getting away with this and that other messaging platforms like Messenger or WhatsApp or you know Zoom and or even Discord would not take issue with this. It's not like they're just they're doing this with at the expense of other companies that have products. They're doing that that are have competing products. What's interesting about it to me is that they're doing it. With these other companies, they're doing it to these other companies. Or I guess they're not doing it to these other companies, but they're, it's impacting, passively impacting these other companies. But they're not small businesses. I mean, Facebook that has Messenger and WhatsApp, that's not a trivial company. Zoom, publicly traded, that's not a trivial company. How about Slack that's owned by Salesforce, somebody who is actively not very friendly with Microsoft right now, all the way at the executive level? How has that not come up before? It surprises me that Microsoft is doing this, is going right back to the same thing that got them dragged into, into court with the Defense Department. Sorry, with the Justice Department. Justice Department, yeah. And they're going back and doing the exact same thing. I'm surprised that there are not more... It drives me crazy, or it, it really irritates me, I should say. But it's more surprising to me that there are not... That companies are not speaking out about it and getting frustrated about it. Yeah, Hundred percent. It just, yeah. I think we'll hear more about this. One final thing I'll add on this. I don't know if you've tried this experience out. I've only lightly looked at at what this is like, but to me, it looks like at least this experience is to get people to use Teams for chatting with friends and family, like it's the new MSN Messenger baked into Windows or something. And from what I've seen, the experience is going to be so. Pardon my bad language here, but utterly shit that I'm stunned they're going to do this. Like, mm -hmm. you know, so you open up Teams, it looks like you can chat with any of your contacts and all that sort of stuff. But if they're not using Teams, it's going to, you could type in their phone number or whatever. It's going to send them a text message about getting Teams. Like this is the experience just seems really quite bad. And unless I'm missing something, which I'm fully willing to admit, you know, I haven't played extensively with this. It just looks like it's 
going to fall on its face. Nobody's going to be successful with it. Just sort of, that's just confusing to me. It's confusing to me as well. And it just, it looks like Microsoft is feeling like they're not the cool company and they're trying to do stuff to get more people to use their consumer-based stuff and move away from things like iMessage on their phone, on their iPhone, or getting away from using Messenger for Facebook, all yeah. that kind of stuff. I mean, it just it just seems like they're they're struggling to try. They're trying to come up with a reason, like, "Hey, me too, me too." And it's like, but you're not. I, nobody, we don't care about that stuff. But I, I don't yeah. know. I, no, I agree. It's not compelling to me. But I just think it's going to be, from what I've seen, just a really, really crappy experience. But yeah, uh, I agree. Maybe they've got more to work on and iron it out. I don't know. Jamming um, teams down. You had two other entry, two other blog posts that you found uh, by the same same guy who actually figured out what the problem was with the one that you mentioned. Yeah, uh, I thought it would be good if you went through and you if you piggybacked off that one link, you, that one link you did with these other two. Sure. Yeah. So the blog is control.blog, ctrl.blog. The author is guy Daniel Alexanderson, I think. Alec. Yeah, Alexanderson, and it's entitled. Edge Deflector Enforces Your Default Browser Settings in Windows. So uh, Microsoft is making it harder to pick a different default browser, apparently. You've got to jump through some more hoops. Anyway, so there's this new app that this guy's developed called Edge Deflector, <laughs> which I just thought was just comically named. I thought that was really funny, which is a little, a tiny new helper program that he developed that says, that isn't cool to Windows. It lets you use your default web browser, even when Windows normally force opens Edge instead. <laughs> so uh, if you don't like what Windows is doing with opening Edge when you don't want it to, then use Edge Deflector. I love that. That's a trip. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah, the second article from him on the same blog is related to that Windows 11 issue that we're talking about. And it's entitled, Why Can an Ad Break the Windows 11 Desktop and Taskbar? So he just sort of details, you know, what he found around this ad, you know, crashing certain aspects of uh, Windows when it didn't work properly. So yeah, two from him. You know, it's funny because the, the next link that I want to share is from Paul Thoreau. And it's about Windows subsystem for Android is going to, has arrived now in the Microsoft Store. So one of the most widely anticipated features, apparently for Windows 11 is the ability to be able to have Android app compatibility, be able to use Android apps in Windows 11 via the Amazon App Store. What is interesting about it, first of all, this App Store, this is not... One thing that is interesting, I didn't realize this, is that it is not going... That App Store is not going to be available when Windows 11 ships. I thought it was part of Windows 11. It's not. It doesn't come out... Hmm. Windows 11 comes out on October the 5th. It looks like it's not going to come out until we get to... See if you can follow this one. Windows 11 2.0. So what? Windows 11 <laughs> space 2.0. That doesn't come out until next October, October 22, 2022. And that's when the App Store is going to show up. But huh. hey, there is now going to be a Windows subsystem for Android that is going to come out and that you're going to be able to have access to to get access to the Android subsystem for Linux. Sorry. So here's... Windows yeah. subsystem for Android. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, gotcha. Here's the funny part. So if you follow the links, it goes to a tweet by Walking Cat on Twitter who links to the store listing for the Windows sus subsystem for Android. And if you click on that and go through to the Windows store, you know, the description of the app is Microsoft Confidential for testing purposes. Please do not take screenshots or communicate about the content. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Somebody did um, publish something. But Paul Thorot says, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry, Microsoft. Even if it is confidential, when you download and run this thing, it just results in a blank white window anyway. So <laughs> screenshots aren't that yes. interesting. But he took a screenshot of it. So. <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny about the screenshots? Though? It's the first like real screenshots that I've seen of Windows 11. And Windows 11 looks like Mac OS so much more now with everything Same. just sitting in the in the tray at the bottom. It looks just like Mac Centering, OS centered dock, right? The dock at the bottom or the start, the start bar at the bottom, right? Everything's centered now. I think you can move that around, but, you know, it definitely looks more and more like Mac OS, although the system tray and all that is at the bottom uh, versus mm -hmm. at the top Mac OS. But yeah, I know, I know where you're going with that. But hey, big innovations, rounded corners on Windows. So... 
everybody get excited about that. All right. We've got some Amazon and Microsoft news here. Apparently, there was a project, Project Maven, I think it's called, something like that, that Microsoft and Amazon scored 50 million bucks over after Google quit the contract. Do you remember, like, years ago, we heard about, there was this hoopla about a bunch of Amazon employees, sorry, Google employees, signing a petition about being involved in image recognition and the images were coming from drones, like military Mm -hmm. drones. Yeah, well, apparently Google got out of that in 2018 due to those staff protests, but it didn't stop Amazon and Microsoft quietly taking on that contract. And so I just thought it was an interesting follow-up to something we heard years ago and Amazon and uh, Microsoft are, are in that small contract, $50 million versus the billions, you know, $10 billion contracts get thrown around these days. But, you know, controversial project at the time. Thought it was an interesting follow-up to that. Yeah, definitely. There is a Azure digital event coming up later in September, got a couple of weeks before this happens. Um, It's going to be on Tuesday, September the 28th from just an hour long, though, 9 a.m. Pacific time, so 12 p.m. Eastern time on September the 28th. This is called a data governance digital event. And it's really primarily highlighting a product called Azure Purview. This is a data governance solution that gives you a holistic, up-to-date map of all of your on-premise, multi-cloud, software-as-a-service-based data. And what it allows you to do, think of it almost like a data mart, because you can see like where all of your data is and have a much, much better visibility for other people in your organization to see what things that they have access to to enable their job. This blog post announcing this event, they got five main reasons of why you should be interested in showing up for this or registering for it. First is turbocharger governance strategies. Basically just talks about how to create a unified map of your data landscape that includes discovery, sensitive data classification, end-to-end lineage. Hear about major product announcements. See Azure Purview in action. Get insights and best practices from product insiders and then get your answers to data governance questions. Sounds like someone decided they need to have five points of why you should show up for this. And a couple of them just feel like they were kind of like thrown in there to make it a nice rounded five, getting answers to your data governance questions. So gotcha. But hey, free event, another digital event. It's called maximize the value of your data in the cloud. And there's a link to register for the event if you're interested on the blog post that we'll have in the show notes. Very cool. You know the court case that's going on between Epic and Apple Mm. over app store payments and in-app payments and or purchases, I suppose, and using non-Apple payment methods for those purchases. Well, it turns out there was some interesting emails that have come out as part of that court case that have been discovered. And specifically, there's one between some internal conversations that have gone on inside Apple about Microsoft also asking to use an external payment method for when they launched Office on for iOS. You know, so, you know, you go get Office, you sign up for it, it asks you if you want to buy a subscription. If you buy a subscription, it has to go through Apple's process. Apparently, Microsoft were questioning that. Anyway, so there's an, there is an email here that talks a bit about that, about what the discussions were like. And what Microsoft wanted to do, what they were saying to Apple was, we would like to not use your in-app purchasing for people to buy subscriptions with off, for Office 365 for their personal use. We want to send them out to some web experience to buy, to purchase and do the revenue, but we'll still give you your clip of the ticket. We'll just backdoor the clip of the ticket as opposed to doing it through in-app purchasing. And their reasoning was that they wanted to make the experience consistent, you know, have different offers for different types of users, different pricing, et cetera, et cetera. And actually one of our, I guess, listeners may, not one of our listeners, some of our listeners may recognize a name that pops up in this in this email between this guy, Ron, and Eddie Q and a couple of other people. But Kirk Koningsbauer comes up in the email thread. And Kirk, Kirk's been around. He was my boss for a while back in SharePoint days. He's been kicking around the office ecosystem for a while. Anyway, he pops up in this email thread. But at the end of the day, Phil Schiller, you know, the guy that gets up on stage and talks about iPhones and stuff and things like that, essentially came back and said, I don't think there's any chance we would agree with that business model. We run the store, we collect the revenue. (laughs) Turns out 
they didn't agree to that business model. And so in-app purchases are required for buying Office 365 on iOS. But I just thought it was interesting. Like this is a little bit of insight into some of the discussions that Microsoft were having with Apple at the time and what came out in discovery from this Epic versus Apple lawsuit around in-app purchasing and Apple's grip on, I think Epic are arguing monopoly on revenue collection for apps on, on their platform. That is interesting. There's that following that course, that court case has been interesting as well. Epic case because it's been, um, I know that they Apple did acquiesce a little bit just recently. I think it was last week that they did, they, they backed off a little bit on the revenue um, side. Some of the demands that they had, I don't, I don't think it was enough to close to like to wrap it up, but they have had to, to capitulate on a little bit of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, be curious. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how that one, how the how the, that case and it finishes it up. You know, I agree. You mentioned Apple. We, of course, you know, true to form. Every time we record something, uh, a new episode, and we talk about something controversial or we talk about something bit. Right after we finish recording, what happens is some other bit of news comes out and changes the story, which reminded me of talking about Apple. The same thing happened last week, right after we talked about that whole or iOS 15 and the CSAM security yes. thing on the next on the upcoming iOS 15 update. And later that night, after we recorded a couple hours later or the next morning on, on Friday, Apple came out and said, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna pull this from iOS 15. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna keep working on this a little bit more. We're going to refine it. In other words, yeah. <laughs> we got so much pushback that yeah, we're probably not going to do it. And uh we're gonna refine it. Yeah. We'll see. So the last bit, or this, I have one thing from, from the Microsoft 365 side, specifically around Microsoft Graph or the Microsoft Graph Toolkit, is a new update that they have for the Microsoft Graph Toolkit. That's version 2.3 in this update. This is pretty much hot off the presses because this was announced the day before recording, so on September the 8th. There are two big things that are that they've added to this. So the first one is a new file upload uh, functionality in the file list component that allows you to upload files. There's a bunch of bug fixes as well. But the the thing that's that's I think is probably a, a more a bigger one here is they have a new authentication provider for Microsoft Teams um, with support for single sign-on. So right now, the existing MSAL.js authentication library that the Teams provider inside of the Graph Toolkit uses, that uses the implicit grant flow. That today, well, not just today, but that only leverages or only supports authentication through an interactive client, client-side login. The interactive or the implicit grant flow is now considered not insecure, but not as secure as things could really be. So what they've done is that the, the OAuth world came up with a, a new flow called the authorization code flow. Now, the authorization code flow is one that's been around for a while. When you go to sign in to, let's say, to Outlook.com, you're using the OAuth code flow where you go to sign in. And what happens is, is Outlook sends you over to Azure AD, says, go log in. You log in with Azure AD, so your credentials are never passed over to Outlook.com. Azure AD then sends you a redirect back to Outlook that says, here's a code, here's your ID, here's a code, oh, yeah. give this code to Outlook. Outlook can take this code, go over to Azure AD and say, hey, someone named Andrew just signed in using this code. Azure AD says, yep, I'm the one that gave them that code. I signed it. I can tell it was it definitely is authenticated coming with me. Here is an access token, Azure AD, uh, Outlook.com that you can use to authenticate against for Andrew, to act on behalf of Andrew Call. But the problem with that approach is that, or the challenge with that is that it doesn't work in a 100% client-side solution because that auth code and the, the authentication to get your token and everything, there has to be a server-side component to it because mm -hmm. Outlook has to authenticate with Azure AD. So to get around that and to make it to make the uh, client-side authentication process more secure, they built something called OAuth 2.0, the authorization code flow with PKCE. And what that is, is that's just an improved version of the authorization code flow that works server side or that works client side and effectively is replacing the need for the implicit grant flow and is much more secure. Okay, with all that being said, what the Graph Toolkit did is they introduced a new MSAL Teams provider or a Teams MSAL 2 provider that's built on top of something called MSAL Browser that implements this authorization code flow, which is more secure so that you can take advantage of it inside of your projects that use the Microsoft Graph Toolkit. 
this is the recommended way to do client-side-based authentication is to use the authorization code flow with PKCE. Gotcha. Gotcha. Nice. Well, we've done a ton of news. How about we plow on to some fun picks? Sounds good to me. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. Okay, AC, what do you have for us this week? I have, my pick is an interesting one. I, I stumbled across this and was like, I had no idea this existed, but it sounds, <laughs> it makes sense. And it sounds like it's something straight out of the NSA. <laughs> yes, have, you ever thought about buying a, have you ever thought about buying a USB cable that's got a Wi-Fi receiver embedded in the end of it that you plug into the USB device? No, no, I haven't. So I didn't get, even know they existed. So yeah, well, they do. And for $120, you can buy the OMG cable. It's a USB-A to Lightning cable. And it's got an internal little web server, an 802.11 radio, a lot more memory and processing power than you can do for demos. And you can use it to do things like keylogger, screen capture, all this kind of stuff. And it looks just like a standard iPhone cable yeah. or a standard USB-C to USB-A cable. Or you can get the $160 version that is the Keylogger Lightning Cable to USB-A. So when you type stuff in, it can actually, you can use this thing to like hack yeah. into someone, to catch their keystrokes, catch their password, or do screen scraping with this thing and transmit it to you wirelessly through is, the little receiver in the, uh, the tip of the, the cable. This is obviously for nefarious purposes, right? Yeah. For people wanting to snoop on others, et cetera, et cetera. What I find absolutely mind-blowing about this is how much tech they've managed to pack into what looks like just a regular iPhone lightning cable. Yep. But you can get them for, not just for iPhones, you can get them for USB micro to USB-A, USB-C to USB-A, et cetera, et cetera. Just mind-boggling complexity, uh, all packed into a tiny little plug socket type thing. Pretty yep. sweet. Pretty, pretty interesting. I just want one to play around with. Like, I have no real need for one, but this just looks fun to, to see what it can do. So get this. To kind of piggyback on the stuff that you were just saying, that this is clearly for nefarious purposes, here are the additional features that are supported by this, a lot of these different cables. Remote access by Wi-Fi, customizable self-destruct, multiple storage slots for large payloads, on-boot payloads, remote trigger by Wi-Fi, a.k.a geofencing, long-range Wi-Fi transmitter up to two kilometers, control from any web browser in the scriptable web socket. I want to buy one, but I don't want to buy one and be on the NSA, NSA's list that says Andrew Connell bought one of these things. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. But yeah, it makes you think twice about borrowing somebody's charging cable, doesn't it? It's totally changing now. It's like, I don't need, to, I don't need your cable. I'm going to use mine. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. All right. I've got kind of a funny story to finish off uh, the show my pick is, again, it's deemed a long read. Right? It's not that long, it's, but you know, it's, it's reasonably a good read. The Disastrous Voyage of Satoshi, the world's first cryptocurrency cruise ship. Have you heard of this? I have heard of this. So these numpties from Silicon Valley thought they could take their strange views on society and turn... <laughs> not strange... <laughs> Wacky, wacky ideas, I suppose, ideas of society and build a, you've heard of seasteading, right? Like this whole concept of like going and building communities and living out on like floating things out in the middle of the ocean. Anyway, they actually went and bought a cruise ship. So they bought the, an old P&O cruise ship. I think they bought it for $9 million, I think it was, which you're like, the first thing was like, Oh my God, I didn't know I could buy a, well, I can't. I didn't know anybody could buy a cruise ship for only $9 million. Turns out the pandemic was not good on the cruise ship industry. <laughs> and, and what normally would have cost $100 million only cost them nine to buy this old ship, 30-year-old cruise ship. Anyway, so they actually bought this cruise ship with the view of turning it into a floating like tech hub community of like-minded crypto fans and turn it into um, this floating society. And they were going to park it or anchor it near Panama, I think, like off out off the coast of Panama. 
But the story just details how absurdly naive these guys were with this whole endeavor. Like, I'll give it to them. Their plans were ambitious. Their vision was quite like out there. And they they gave it a good shot, right? They actually bought a a cruise ship and sailed it across the Atlantic. You know, like that in and of itself is a, is an adventure and an achievement. But needless to say, things started coming off the rails pretty quick. They really didn't know how to run a boat. They had to hire people to run it. They had to deal with like certificates of seaworthiness and all this sort of stuff. Costs are racking up, cost 12,000 bucks a day just to fuel, you know, about a million dollars a month in costs to keep this thing going. Had all sort of regulatory issues. And just the amount, what oozed out of this for me in this article was just the amount of tech bro what's the right term? Tech bro entitlement was just palpable. Anyway, go have a read and you'll just be like, you'd just be shaking your head and being like, what were they thinking? (laughs) Anyway, needless to say, they ended up selling the ship and uh, it is actually going to be returned to a new cruise line that's being formed who bought it for $12 million. So they they probably didn't make money because they spent a bunch on it, but it sounds like they didn't get out you know, completely having lost their pants. But uh, just a fascinating story. Like, man, some people are ambitious and some people are out there and this is ambitious out there and crazy all wrapped into one. Yeah. With a bow. (laughs) I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Seems completely fine to me. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's a fascinating read of just like, good grief. Yep. Talk about getting Pretty into good. an industry you know nothing about. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Good pick, man. Yeah, likewise. All right, man. Well, thanks for a uh, thanks for a good chat today and a good show. We will catch everybody next week and uh, stay safe and, and uh, talk to you then. Awesome. Good to see you, man. See ya. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll get notices of each episode, as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.